From the beautiful Art House Studios in Nashville, Tennessee, this is The Pivot, stories of people who've made a change. Welcome to The Pivot. My name is Andrew Osinga, and my guest today is David Johnson. David Johnson is the founder of an organization called Silent Images. They are storytellers who come alongside nonprofits and ministries to help them share the work they're doing through video and photography. But David wasn't always a business owner or a ministry partner or even a photographer. This is a great, empowering story of what happens when you choose to say yes to the doors that open in front of you as you take simple steps forward in service, compassion, and obedience. Now, I got connected to David through a mutual friend. He and his Silent Images team live and work in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he was kind enough to let me drop by and chat when I was in town on tour this past December. Sadly, this wonderful conversation is a little shorter than my normal episodes because I had to leave and get to sound check. But this is a great story, and one of the reasons I wanted to share this episode this week is that I know there are a lot of listeners who may have recently lost their job, like as in this past week. Or if you haven't, maybe you're scared about the job you do have. Honestly, I think unless we're pathologists or nurses, we're all a little scared about our jobs right now. And if we are pathologists or nurses, we're probably scared of our jobs. And not that listening to two dudes talk for 30 minutes is going to fix that loss. I know it won't. But I know I find encouragement when I hear about how people end up doing things that they love and are passionate about that they never could have dreamed. And it's my prayer for so many of my friends and family right now that the doors that are all of a sudden slamming shut are going to allow for better and more amazing doors to open in the future. And in my prayers, those are near futures, but let's be honest, who knows? What I do know is that God is good and God is faithful. I've been through the loss of a job, one like big time, and in my time as a freelancer, like a thousand smaller times, and it is devastating every time. Here's the deal. Vocation can be a calling, yes, but it is also just a circumstance. And circumstances may provide our setting, but they don't define our characters. How you change when the world around you changes might just be wonderful, even though it might be so painful. That's the point of this whole podcast. And I take that knowledge from my own experience of God's faithfulness, both to me and to so many of the people who have spoken into my life over the years. And I speak it over you now, my friends, in whatever circumstance you're listening right this moment. Now to that end, I am curious, how are you doing? Is your life right now all of a sudden pivoting in crazy and unexpected ways? I'm thinking of doing an episode where we check in with some listeners and hear about how this shutdown quarantine situation is changing your story, both the highs and the lows. If you're up for it, send me an email to andrew at everybodypivots.com. Maybe we can find a few minutes to chat in the next week or two. But for now, I'm really excited you're going to hear this conversation. I found it so encouraging. Silent Images is an amazing and vibrant company, and I really enjoyed my time with David, and I know you will too. So here is my conversation with David Johnson. So I I walk into this really cool space, and you're not in Charlotte. You're right outside of Charlotte. We are, yeah. And um, 
and I know some of what you guys are doing, but I'd love to hear about sort of what Silent Images is and what work you're active in right now. Yeah, so we're sitting here in this uh, kind of redone warehouse space that's uh, that we now call Silent Images. It's been our home uh, for the last six years. We're 13 years old as a ministry, and we simply provide uh, film and photography to other charities. So as you can, as you know, or many people know that, you know, professional film work and photography work is super expensive for nonprofits. And so a lot of times they just can't afford it. So they either don't do it well or don't do it at all. And, or yeah, they try to do it themselves and kind of fumble through it. And so really we try to come along and give them high level uh, film production and photography at a, at a low cost. So basically uh, really to empower them to tell their story well and with excellence and really motivate people to go give and pray for whatever that issue is, whether it's water issues in Africa or human trafficking in Cambodia or homelessness in Nashville. Um, we want to tell those stories so people are motivated to, to, to get involved and, and find a solution. Man, that is really cool. Well, I, I want to get to how you got into this because I'm very curious. Well, let's start kind of before that. Like, are you from Charlotte area? What, what brought you here? Yeah, so I uh, grew up here in Charlotte and uh, went, then went to UNC Chapel Hill, studied education, came back here and taught school, coached tennis, uh, loved it. Absolutely. What did you teach? Uh, taught English. And so I was a creative writer. I was a, uh, loved to teach writing, creative writing, and that was kind of my medium. I, I, and I, but I always had my camera with me, so I, was, mm. you know, I felt like a story was kind of incomplete without some sort of visual. And so a self-taught photographer... And uh, just loved to teach uh, creative writing and did that for eight years. But I spent every summer overseas and I'd spend those summers just volunteering for nonprofits, whatever I could do. Some of it was uh, coaching tennis. Some of it was just volunteering, whatever uh, they needed. Uh, sometimes it was more strategic where people would say, hey, will you come help us do photography and writing and maybe we, we need a newsletter? Hmm. And I started to hear that more and more. And of course, this is 15, 16 years ago when newsletters were still, you know, yeah, people were uh, mailing very things. popular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but I just began to, to kind of sniff out. There was this, this need and this gap of communication for nonprofits. And so the more that people started to ask, hey, could you do this more often, do writing and photography? I thought, I think there's a need out there. And I have a passion for it. And, you know, when, when your passion lines up with a need out there and you figure out, well, you know, could I fulfill this in some way? Um, there really is an opportunity. And, uh, and I, I kind of mulled over it for several years. I, you know, I would, if I were honest, I'd say God probably began to, to call me two years earlier than I actually jumped. Um, and part hmm. of that was because I loved teaching. I wasn't running from anything. I actually, I was just loving teaching and coaching and I didn't want to go anywhere else. Hmm. And so I kind of thought, no, this is where I, this is what I'm called to do. And, what, and were you teaching like a public school? Uh, private, what, what, what? private school here in Charlotte. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, um, so it was, uh, so it was hard to walk away from something you love. Yeah. But, um, but slowly but surely just the, the passion and desire for something else, uh, became clearer and clearer. And, uh, at some point, you know, the, the boat gets further and further from the dock and you're straddling and eventually you, you got to make a decision. That's a great metaphor. And I just felt like the more I was honest with myself, the, 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 scarier, the scariest part of the decision or the scarier place to be is to stay where you're, where you're at just because it's safe. Hmm. And the more honest I began to, to ask myself why I was staying and teaching, it was just because it was safe. I loved it, but then at some point it was just a safe and known. Mm -hmm. And the unknown was what I was afraid of. But I thought, I I've got to go. And if that's the only reason why I'm not jumping, I need to jump. And, um, and, and in, 
the reality of, of any type of, um, you know, change in life and career, there's always going to be risk involved. And so, um, you know, that just is something that, that you kind of uh, learn to embrace. And, uh, and that, was, that was really what began to launch me into the idea of silent images. But I didn't have a name. I didn't have a donor. I didn't have a staff. It was just an idea and a hunch that there was a need for visual storytelling for nonprofits. Hmm. And then next thing you know, I find myself in Darfur, Sudan, uh, during the genocide, working for a persecution project out of uh, Virginia. And they were doing all kinds of work there. They invited me to come and do some photography there. And that and was this the, was just like through friends. How did they? This is through friends, okay. and and uh, uh, met uh, Larry Warren out of Nashville, and he was he and I were hanging out in Kenya, and he said, "Hey, come on up to Sudan. We need some photography done up there." And so he and I, uh, and some other people went up to Darfur, and um, I took my camera. And, and this was what year? This is two thousand six. Okay. So the genocide the genocide was still pretty active um, then, and so we were in these IDP camps, and you know I'm sitting there with my camera. Right. And, and all these people are doing much more important work than I was. There were medical doctors there. There are people who are bringing food. And I kind of had this moment of looking down going, I've just got a camera in my hands. Like, mm. what can I really do with this? And um, I'll never forget having a conversation with a Sudanese soldier there. And he had a, a big gun and he was there to protect us. And he just said, you know, the most dangerous weapon in this IDP camp, he said, it's not my gun. He said, it's your camera. Mm. And he was right. I mean, the sense of like, you know, bullets can, can only go so far, but images are boundless. And there's something powerful that an image can do. And it's what dictators around the world fear the most. And it hit me, you know, it's not necessarily what we have in our hands. It's how we use what we have in our hands. Hmm. And so, you know, God will put things in our hands. And we, even if it's just a silly tool like a camera, it can be used in powerful ways. And uh, Proverbs 31.8, um, which says to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, for the rights of all the destitute, um, was really laid on my heart and a burden on my heart. And that was really where the, the idea of how can I now begin to use this camera and bring it back and, and maybe formalize uh, silent images as a nonprofit begin to be birthed. And really, I'd say it, it was solidified when I landed in the States and found myself in uh, JFK Airport watching the news stream. Hmm. And in 2006, uh, Britney Spears had just shaved her head and... The media was going crazy about it, right? Yeah. I mean, it was all over. And here I just left this genocide, and I thought, man, what can we do as photographers and filmmakers to change the conversation and, and hopefully move people's attention to things of more substance? And I was just, I was furious as I watched. I, I literally, I missed my my flight, so I was sleeping on the floor of the JFK airport, watching our mainstream media uh, talk about uh, Britney Spears shaving her head. And, uh, and I just thought, we've got to do something about this. And so that's when I started making calls to other photographers and just saying, hey, let's, let, let's, let's form something and let's yeah. change the conversation. In the process of thinking about leaving teaching and starting this unnamed idea, yeah. what's your family situation? Like, what's the yeah. reality of your life that you're dealing sure. with? Because this doesn't happen in a vacuum. Sure. I mean, in a lot of ways, it was, it was easy because I was single. I was 29. Uh, I could live off of peanut butter and jelly as long as I needed to, right? So, um, and so, <laughs> that is convenient. I, and, and yeah, and that's what I did, you know, as I kind of said, okay, I, I've got to now form this nonprofit. But the first thing, you know, I tell people, you know, there are two things I did when I first had an idea of should I start a nonprofit? First of all, there's, you know, 185,000 Christian nonprofits in the United States. So, is there room for another? Is there a need? So, I did a lot of research. Is there any other nonprofits who are already doing this work? 
Um, or am I really, is this hunch for real that there is a, a void here? And I couldn't find any at that time. Um, there were some similar ones, but nothing just like this. And so that was my first kind of question to answer. The second thing is, how do I find people who are more talented than I am and surround myself with them? And so that was really mm. the next key that I tell anyone who's going to start a nonprofit or make a change. Just find people who are more talented than you, and you'd be you know, the dumbest and the least talented person in the room, and then your organization will go places. And, and just you know, equip them and release them to do that. And so that's what happened. I mean, these amazing photographers and filmmakers started coming around me. Mm. And they really have taken sound images to a whole different level. And it's been it really, I've kind of moved from player to coach now. Uh, now I sit on the sideline. I'm not shooting as much. I'm really, really just kind of coaching them and sending them out and uh, equipping them to, to do their work. And it's, um, of course, there's, you know, every coach wants to get back on the field. And so I do that as much as I can. But for the most part, they need to be out there. And they're, they're doing an amazing job. Yeah. Okay. Well, I feel like there's a, probably a couple steps in between having a, a staff of people that sure. you're sending around the world. and. Sure quitting your job and starting yeah. this thing. So what did yeah. that first year look like for you? Like, did, did you, when you went and told your school that you were quitting, like, how, yeah. well, tell me about that conversation. Yeah. Well, you know, when I told them I was quitting, um, they said to do what? And I, I, I didn't really know at that point to do <laughs> what. <laughs> I knew I was going to do something with my camera. But um, so there was a lot of people who were, who were questioning. And also, I think, you know, when you're, when you're starting something that people don't have a clear uh, point of reference to, it's hard for them to grasp or to cheer you on. If I were to say, I'm leaving to start a nonprofit that puts shoes on kids' feet in Africa or builds wells, mm -hmm. they would go, right on. That's awesome. Yeah, we get that. Where do I cut the check? Um, when, you're, when you're conceptualizing something about, you know, using film and photography to equip those who are building wells and help them do it better, all of a sudden there's this, there's this sense of disconnect and, well, what do I compare that to? So it, it took me several, several conversations with people before they finally got it. Mm -hmm. And I'd still, people often still probably don't understand exactly what sound images does. And, you know, it's not, uh, it's not as crystal clear as some. Yeah. So, um, but, um, but I've, I have found that those who get it and get the multiplying effect that film and photography can have for nonprofits when it's done right are really loyal whether they're photographers, filmmakers, or donors, or mm. churches who say, hey, we want to come around this, like understand the multiplying impact. But that first, really, I'd say the first three or four years was hard. So were you looking for... I was looking for don't... I, I, I didn't clients? know... Clients? I mean, yeah. I clients is not even Well, clients right wasn't word. hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, any nonprofits need a professional video done? Yeah. And all the hands went up. I so bet. here's the mistake I made, Andy. The first, first mistake I made is I did it for free. And, uh, and so I said, hey, I want to... I want to start a nonprofit, so we should do it for free. And that was a huge mistake. Because Which of, makes sense in one sense. Like, yeah. I understand why you would do that, but why was that a mistake? It was a mistake because, A, you got people who didn't always really need it um, or they didn't know how to use it, and they and they, they didn't have skin in the game, so they really... So it kind of wasted your It, your it did. It did. I didn't find the, the right really the right clients. And so uh, what we started to do then is create a sliding scale to where a smaller nonprofit, a mom-and-pop startup got one price... You know, if we're serving World Vision, they get a different quote, right? Yeah. Um, and so, but everyone has skin in the game. And then I go out and fundraise to supplement the rest of the, the nonprofit. And okay. so, um, but but that but those first early years were hard because, A, I was having to fundraise um, and I was trying to, you know, kind of communicate this this idea to people who didn't couldn't quite grasp it yet. Um, but then also I was traveling like crazy. I was, I was, you know, uh, doing all the actual production myself. And the, in the early years, it was mostly photography. So the medium has changed, and now we're doing probably 80 to 90% video instead of photography. 
So, um, so that also has changed, but those, those early years were tough because, uh, you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a fundraiser. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't go into this to become a professional, you know, into development in any way. Um, I'm a storyteller. I love to capture stories and tell stories and, uh, and tell stories to motivate people to take action. And so that's, that's my passion. My passion is people, uh, and listening to stories and just trying to figure out how we can, uh, tell stories because stories have a way of disarming people in many ways and uh, there's there's power in it and so we that is our passion and that's been my passion but I've learned along the way how to put on my development hat and raise money um, how to you know put on my customer service hat and take care of clients and how to manage you know my staff were as young as 19 up to you know 30 and uh, and just kind of yeah, coach them along as they figure out their own career. Yeah. Um, you know, and they don't have a, a pathway to, it's not like most careers where it's, you know, um, where there's something that they can kind of, uh, uh, see clearly this is, these are the steps we need to take. They're walking into something unknown. I mean, sound images really is an, uh, an unknown, uh, entity in, in a lot of ways in the sense of, you know, where will we look five years from now? It's, it's going to change. The medium's going to change. Um, but hmm. I, you know, I believe, even though photography in some ways has been democratized and video in some ways is starting to be, but storytelling, there's always, that is a skill and that's a craft. And that's really what mm -hmm. I, I think my team and I really try to emphasize and do the as best we can with excellence for nonprofits is how do we tell your story? How do we identify and capture and, and uh, execute a, a good story for you? Yeah. Cause that's the difference, right? Between having something that looks good, that's confusing. I've seen a couple even in in the realm of what kind of the, the world that you work in, nonprofits that have made movies that have done short films or things like, and you're like, this is looks great looks and great. is so bad. Yeah, that idea of how do you communicate? You've got to figure out the character and the story, and you've got to communicate that to somebody who doesn't speak, who doesn't have the context. I mean, that's that's a gift to know how to do, yeah, and a skill. Yeah, it is, and and I would say that's the that's the biggest thing uh, lacking with the young filmmakers who come into our office. Um, they, they know how to capture a great shot. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times that's what we have to coach them in immediately. It's just how do you, and you, you know, I mean, how do you learn that? You learn that by doing it, right? Totally. I mean, you, and that's life experience too. I mean, yeah. the older you get, the more stories you collect. When you come into this as an English teacher, mm -hmm. so you spent your, however long you were teaching, mm -hmm. kind of steeped in story. That's right. Did that connection happen immediately, or did it take a while to realize that it wasn't just taking a picture, but it was telling a story? It it happened uh, pretty quickly. Okay. I mean, yeah, there is a sense of, and I wouldn't, you know, again, not being a uh, formally trained photographer, all I was looking for was a story, hmm. right? And so I learned the photography as I went and kind of the composition and other things, but it was a story I was hungry for. And I knew it was a story that would connect with the donors and the people who, who wanted to connect with something that was, you know, in the Darfur case, completely disconnected. So how do we bridge that? So, um, so that, yeah, that was, that was fairly intuitive uh, yeah. for me, but, um, but the photography and the, and the actual technical side came in later. Yeah. So what does your life look like now, family wise, time wise? Like, what does it look like to, to run an organization like this? Yeah. So, uh, well now I'm a little more grounded, married, have two beautiful uh, young girls, seven and four. Oh, and, so uh, fun. so yeah, my wife and I, Andrea live here in Matthews and, uh, and I am uh, running sound images in the sense of, uh, I would say more so, I'm just, um, uh, like I said, more of a, a coach than a player. And I'm, I'm taking in, I love taking in young talent and mm -hmm. uh, just equipping them, developing them and watching them 
blossom uh, as they go out and, and do the projects. And so I'm managing five staff, uh, and they are, um, they're incredible. Uh, they are uh, all have, you know, different, uh, unique gifts that God's kind of given them. And, and I just have the, the pleasure of kind of coaching them and encouraging them and, and also, you know, uh, pushing us forward. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I once heard a, a leader say that the, the more comfortable this, your staff gets, the less comfortable a leader gets. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I think that's how I am now. I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly looking for, you know, what else can sound images be doing? Yeah. Uh, what other things out there, what other stories do we need to be telling? And, uh, you know, we found a groove. We, uh, I, I believe we, in my opinion, we do it really well. We've, we've gotten a great reputation with nonprofits. We have lots of clients coming to us. And, uh, and so we love it and we're in a great groove, but I think creatively you always want to be challenged. Hmm. And so like, for example, this past year, we took on a whole series on mental health. Oh, wow. And so we did a, we did seven short documentaries, just shadowing the stories of people on the journey of depression, anxiety, bipolar, eating disorders, suicide, addiction. And we just felt like we needed to tell the story of those who are living, living, you know, the, 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 um, the struggle of mental health, particularly for the church too. I just heard many people within the church going, there's no place for us yeah. and there's still a stigma. And so I just, you know, again, with that burden of wanting to, to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, um, how can we, uh, facilitate conversation and tell the story? Again, stories are disarming. They make us connect and it, it takes away some of that stigma. And so we produce these seven films, which you can find on right now media and other places. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so they, uh, that was, a, that was, that was a, a huge creative challenge for us, but, um, but a rewarding. And was one. that your idea? Was that you guys said, as a yeah, company? the team just said, you know, Hey, what are we going to do? And, and a lot of us, it just came from our own personal experiences of having mm. friends suffering from, you know, different mental afflictions. And so we just said, and we walked alongside them. And a lot of times, you know, if you're doing stories on human trafficking and domestic violence and homelessness, the thing you keep hearing again is mental health, mental health, mental health. And so we thought, well, who's telling the story of mental health? And uh, we couldn't find a lot of, a lot, a lot of, I'm, there are some good things out there, but we just, you know, we couldn't find anything that was really, um, could equip the church Hmm. Uh, and also had curriculum with it that could be used in small groups and Sunday school oh, wow. classes and youth groups. And so that's what we did. We worked alongside counselors and created the curriculum. It's all free. It's um, amazing. Yeah. So it's, um, it is a, a free resource for anyone to use. Um, and so that things like that is, is, is what we are always hungry for. Just what are those other stories that we can tell through film and through storytelling? Man, that's really, that is really cool. So, well, and, and also I'll say this right now and can edit it later if you want to, but um, we're actually hosting a film event of the mental health films in Nashville, September twelfth. Oh wow! So I think it's all September twelfth, twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Okay, you we'll be in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, uh, and so uh, so we'll be hosting a Saturday event, showing a bunch of the films, partnering with all kinds of people in Nashville. So uh, so it'll be great. fun. Do you know yeah. where you're doing it? Um, I, I should. Someone's emailed me. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I think it's in partnership with South, Southeast Psych and um, like the Belcourt or something. Yeah, maybe. So, okay. um, yeah, yeah, but but yeah, I, that'll be that'll be fun. I mean, that, that's that's we love bringing it to other cities. And and again, just totally open handed with this. It's it's a free resource for anyone to use to um, however they need to use it within schools or churches or small groups. Man, that's really really cool. So how like in a given year, we're we're at the end of the year. How many trips or how many countries have, have your staff 
visited yeah. over the, the last 12 months. So uh, this past year, we have been to about 14 different countries, produced about 100, 100 films, short films. So mm-hmm. um, serving you know, about 75 different nonprofits. Wow. So that's, that's an average year. I'd say, you know, it ebbs and flows, but I'd say that's, that's, you know, this year, probably the, the amount was a little bit lower because we did the mental health series, but I'd say we average, you know, about a hundred films a year, you know, 85 or so nonprofits a year and, uh, wow. anywhere between 10 and 20 different countries. So we stay busy. There's plenty of work out there and there's an endless amount of stories that need to be told. So do you have people that are just traveling and then people that are here just editing? Or how does no, that work? no. Everyone in my staff can kind of do everything. Oh, cool. uh, yeah, they can shoot, edit. Um, they're, they're, you know, blossomed into great storytellers so they can sit down and interview someone. Uh, and so they will go. I just, our most recent hire, um, we just, uh, he just moved here from LA and we sent him out on one of his first big projects to Ethiopia and it was just him. And so wow. he went to Ethiopia and, uh, you know, 23 years old and, uh, you know, he had to shoot it. He's going to edit it. He had to conduct the interviews and come back with the story. And um, he did an amazing job. Wow. Well, there any other big projects on the, on the horizon for you at this point? Well, this year we are going to host our first film festival. No way. Yeah. So let me hear in Matthews. It, it's going to be in Charlotte, Charlotte. and um, and the whole premise of it is capturing stories of local heroes uh, within the city. And uh, with the current kind of political climate, and particularly with the RNC coming here, there's a lot of negative uh, news on its way to Charlotte. No matter where you're on the political spectrum, mm. uh, Charlotte is going to be a hub of bad negative, divisive news. And so we thought, yeah. we sat around and we said, what is Sonimage is going to do to play our role of shalom in the city? Mm. And we really felt like the more positive stories and stories of kind of local heroism that we could gather, uh, the more that we could have an influence on changing the conversation. And we know that we couldn't do it alone. And so we thought, well, let's let's gather a bunch of our friends in the city and filmmakers who want to collect stories from the neighborhoods and streets that they're in and let's just collect stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And so the Perspective Film Festival hopefully will change the perspective of the city and maybe the nation on, you know, what do we need to focus on? And there's a lot of positive stories out there that uh, sometimes just don't get told. Wow. So you, that's going to be a film festival here. So that's a film and photographer. We're going to include f- uh, photographs in it too. So still photographers can grab portraits of people that they want to uh, kind of highlight as heroes. And so that film and photography Festival will be here in Charlotte in May, and it'll it'll just be a collection of stories throughout the city. That's amazing. Is, is will there be any chance for people who can't make it to Charlotte to find that stuff? Will it be sure. online anywhere? Yeah, yeah. Perspective CLT, um, or you can find it on our website at sonimages.org. But okay. all that will be uh, will be up online. And yeah, we um, we'd love for other cities to consider it too. I mean, you know, there's tons of cities who I'm and filmmakers and photographers who I'm sure are feeling the same burden around their cities. Like, wait a second. There's actually great things happening here. You know, we don't. The headlines don't always have to be about the things that we disagree with. Um, there's a lot of great news, and and we can be those those story collectors. And uh, and I think hopefully together begin to change the conversation a little bit. Hmm. I want to end with this question: You sitting in this place now, where you've got a groove, you've got a staff, you've the, silent images has become a thing that you now can quantify. Mm-hmm. If you had a time machine and co- could go back and talk to yourself. 15 years ago teaching English, is there something that you would wish that he knew? Um, 
I think the um, the the one thing that I, I that I wish I knew was that David, don't lose sleep because um, God's going to take care of this. And there is right when you walked in, Andy, when you, you passed a big pile of rocks, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a mound of rocks over there. Twelve years of rocks we've been collecting. Those are our Ebenezer rocks. And every time that a project happens, someone comes back safely from a trip, every time a, a donor gives a gift, we write that on a rock. Hmm. And that is a visual reminder to, uh, mostly to me, but my team has also embraced it. When those times when you're losing sleep, because you're like, I don't know, have I pushed the envelope too far? Have I taken a risk that it's going to, you know, sink silent images. Uh, will that next donation come in? Um, can we really pull off this mental health series? Um, where will I find that next hire? Those rocks remind me 12 years of faithfulness of God just showing up in the details. And, uh, and, and I don't need to lose sleep over that. Uh, and I need to continue to press forward and, and be the leader and continue to not just be a leader, but be a follower in the sense of, you know, I'm following a passion that's much bigger than me. I'm following a, you know, issues that are much bigger than me. And so I need to keep pressing forward and be faithful and be uh, courageous uh, and not look back and not worry about the details, but to glance at those rocks and say, you know what, uh, I'm going to keep dreaming big. And I'm going to keep surrounding myself with people who are more talented than me. And we're going to see what God's going to do. Hmm. That's really cool. I can't wait to look at that on the way out. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah. Really cool. Thanks. Yeah. No, it's been a, it's been a joy. Hmm. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, as you know, you're doing something you love and you're passionate about, then, yeah. uh, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to think too hard about it or, uh, get yourself out of bed or drag yourself out of bed. It's just, you know, you're willing to put in, you know, you put in 90% of your time is, you know, practicing 10% is on stage. Yeah. But it's worth it. Totally. <laughs> right? Totally. And so most people would be like, that's, you know, you spend that many hours to perform three songs. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to buy all the gear. Right, right, right. Yeah, 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 it right? costs that much money to do. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I mean, and film's the same way. Which it's I like, know, it totally Yeah, is. you spent 80 hours filming, and that's a three-minute video. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but did it did it move you? And yeah, so. That's fantastic. So are you traveling at all next year? Uh, I will be. So, I, you know, I'm actually probably going to be moving my family down to Guatemala for the summer. Oh, wow. And going to be doing just a series of films down there. And and the other thing is I'm looking for other filmmakers around the world. And so I'm trying to get strategically into places where I mm. can work alongside other good, you know, videographers. And so I've got a couple identified down there. So I'm going to go spend the summer down there, bring my family, do some production, but also um, begin to train and identify some international shooters that can be um, – as yeah. my partners, oh, not necessarily amazing. staff, but will be kind of um, yeah um, satellite partners that we can begin to find in different parts of the world. That way, we don't always have to fly places. We can say, "Oh, there's a project that just came up in South America. Well, we got you know these guys down in South America. Let's yeah." Well, and they'll them. have a better understanding of the culture and the that's right. That's right. They the speak the language. Yeah, and... that's right. So yeah, we don't we don't need to go down there and mess things up. So that's yeah. amazing. I love that. Yeah. So yeah, so it'll be exciting. So that's, that's uh, again, that's kind of another one of those things that's keeping me, you know, uh, curious. Uh, I've got to stay curious and create and, and um, 
keep my own creative juices going as the leader. So, so yeah, so that's what I'll be doing this summer with the family. And that's awesome. Be good. But other than that, no, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll probably make no trip to Burma. I've made 12 or 13 trips to Burma and got an ongoing project down there. Hmm. And so I'll probably I'll tend to find myself there at least once a year. Yeah. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. Thanks, David. The work you are doing is awesome, so thank you. If you're interested in learning more about David and his work, you can find Silent Images at their website, silentimages.org. Now, after we finished our chat, David was kind enough to race me back to the venue to soundcheck, and that's when I learned that he and a couple friends had also opened up a killer coffee shop right around the corner from the Silent Images office. It's called Brakeman's Coffee and Supply, like the brakeman on the back of a train whose job is to be aware as the train speeds down the tracks, making every passenger feel safe by slowing down at just the right moment. So they've created this place to slow down and to give the gift of calm and peace with your morning cup of coffee. Some of our road crew actually stumbled on the place that day, and they were raving about it. So if you're in Matthews, North Carolina anytime soon, and unless you live in Matthews, North Carolina, you probably shouldn't be because you need to stay where you are. But when you can... Go check out Brakeman's Coffee. It's such a cool concept. And yes, you can find their own coffee and merchandise at their website. Uh, David, I might need one of those slow-down snapback hats. Those are sick. You can find Brakeman's Coffee and Supply online at brakemanscoffee.com. For more information about me or my music or this podcast, you can visit andrewosinga.com or everybodypivots.com. And yes, I would love to do an episode soon where we explore the shutdown and quarantine and how this is changing your lives. Shoot me an email at andrew at everybodypivots.com if you'd be interested in sharing a bit of that story with me. I think there is such value in hearing how each other are doing honestly and knowing that we're not alone. So I'd love to make an episode where we can do that for each other. Uh, But in the meantime, I hope and pray that all of you are safe and healthy And I thank you all for the continued outpouring of emails and comments that welcomed the pivot back this season. It is so encouraging. We are truly all in this together, guys. Thank you for listening. I'll be back again next week. And now, go do something awesome. Mm -hmm.